Hey guys, this is Steve Murphy. You're listening to the Mike Sappho Podcast. Hey guys, this is Javier Pena, and you're listening to the Mike Sappho Podcast, the best in the world. Agent Pena, Agent <clears throat> Murphy, welcome to the show. Thank, Thank you, you very much. It. I appreciate you guys coming on. Thank you. It's Steve yeah. and Javier, by the yeah. way. Yeah. Oh, Steve. Well, I, I feel cool if you guys sound <laughs> agent. It seems like you guys are still legit. <laughs> if you said old no. man, Steve, I would yeah. not answer. Neither of you guys are New Yorkers, but you're here in the Big Apple. First meal here. Wow. Uh, First meal, that was uh, Monday, I think. Del Frisco's. Uh, yeah, Del Frisco's. Somebody yeah. else bought it. I was going to say the DEA Narcos <laughs> money's pretty good if you guys didn't hear Del Frisco's. We, we did not pick up the tab. Our, like, our publisher took us out for dinner. Yeah. Any sightseeing while you're doing here now? Just we're, so, we're so busy right yeah. now with the book coming out yesterday. And well, happy bo- yeah, happy <clears throat> book release day. Yeah, Thank you. Yeah. Well, That's exciting. First time this this ever happened, and you know we just uh, jumped into it and see what happens. You know, and, and you hear our accents. We were at the Harvard Club last night. You the guys Harvard are so Club. big time. Yeah, no, not really. <laughs> you they guys are big sorry. time. You, you are. Know, I feel sorry for these country boys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they just like come on, bring him in. Yeah. Yeah. Did you guys have to put a suit on and be all fancy? <laughs> oh, just sport coat. Yeah. So I'm VIP, and I got your book months ago. Okay. And I was a little apprehensive about reading it. I thought it was going to be, because you guys are pigeonholed as the Escobar guys. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was just going to be like 250 pages about Escobar, and it completely wasn't. It completely shocked me because it was about what brought you to the DEA and, you know, the Escobar time, and then mm-hmm. afterwards. Were you guys happy with the way the book came out? Yeah, I was. Uh, you know, the, I like the fact that it, it showed that we were both uniform cops before we became federal agents. And you know how it is. I mean, all of us sitting here today, we know what we think about federal agents, don't we? <laughs> and I thought the same thing. I didn't particularly care for them, you know, and then I became one. So, uh, but it, it was kind of neat because you had that background to not act like a fed when you're out working with the real cops. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, you know, for the listeners, we're sitting here with a bunch of NYPD guys, and we're just honored. I mean, I honored beyond belief to be here with all of you. So thank you for coming in here with us. Yeah. Well, I'm going to tell you, like you said, where Jack Dempsey's here and a bunch of NYPD people are here. And they don't care about the Escobar stuff. They want to know how the hell are you guys still friends after 40 years of being partners. <laughs> That's what they're most curious about. How long has this friendship been going on for? Again, and I just want to echo again, guys, y- y'all are the real heroes here in New York. I mean, y'all do a great job. Everybody looks at y'all. So congratulations. I'm, I'm proud just being here yep. uh, with, uh, with the guys. So anyway, uh, going back to the story, yeah, the book was written in two voices, which is a little unusual, and it's a little hard to write because – uh, to you know, putting two voices together in a book, and uh, but it's just not only Escobar; it's other type cases. How we came on uh, to DEA, and I'm I'm like what Steve said. I was with the sheriff's office in Laredo for seven years, you know. And I tell people up front, you know, I hated the feds because they used to treat me like shit. Okay. You know, <laughs> I started off at the jail, and they oh, I never forget. The FBI would come in like open the you know just ordering people around, and I was too afraid to <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I said, if I ever get into you know, uh, upper position. I'm, you know, I'm gonna change, and uh, hopefully, like I said, it's. Uh, I mean, you guys are are the heroes. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, go, going back to the book, it was written in two two voices, and we have other stuff in there, not just Escobar, but other cases and other examples of how we came on uh, on the job. Yeah, we started, and we started working together in '91 when I got to Columbia. He'd already been there for three mm-hmm. years, so you know, I came into the great situation. Because he's already earned the respect and the trust of the Columbia National Police. And because I'm his partner, I'm accepted, right? You uh-huh. still got to earn the respect. Sure. But you know what I mean. Um, we're complete opposites of each other. I've been <laughs> married for my entire life. He's never, well, he's, he's married now, now but. I'm, I'm the most unorganized person <laughs> in the world. <laughs> and I'm, I'm kind of anal when it comes to that stuff. So, 
uh, it's complete opposites, and, yeah. and uh, it just works for us. L- let me ask you the truth. The f- initial reaction, you guys meet each other, because you're complete opposites, like you mm-hmm. said. What are your thoughts about each other? You first meet each other. What's your first thought about him? Uh, well, you know, this was – so I get there three days before Escobar surrenders in Bogota. Okay. So – um, I'm looking at him, and, and you know how it is. when you It's just like when you guys transfer to a new precinct. you got to get to know people. You know, There's a little honeymoon period that goes mm-hmm. on, a little touchy-feely time going. And I'm looking at him, and somebody introduced me to him. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, I know, I've heard of this guy, and he's just busier than crap because Pablo's getting ready to surrender in a couple of days. Mm-hmm. So Javi was, was busy, you're saying, oh, right? Very busy. Okay, okay. And his partner at the time was Gary Sheridan, who's a super guy. And Gary and I knew some, some common police officers back in the United States from years ago. So Gary and I really got to be friends first, and I thought, well, you know, hey, he's busy, man. I'm not going to mess with him because I knew what he was doing, you know. <laughs> but uh, then when, when Escobar surrendered um, to his custom-built prison, then, you know, things kind of calmed down because there just wasn't that much to do, and that's when we got to know each other. And the honeymoon ended there, or no? You guys uh, initially, what, right away, you became friends? We, uh, we knew each other. I mean, we did not know each other from, you know, uh, from the outside. We mm-hmm. knew each other in Colombia. And then w- when he surrenders, I mean, you were helping us out with mm-hmm. some Medellin stuff, remember? But we weren't that close. We okay. Were, we were acquaintances. We worked together. We were working other cases also. But uh, when Pablo Escobar escapes, now that's that was that's the, when it really uh, kicked into second gear. Yeah, yep. And uh, I remember the boss says, "Hey, you and Murphy." <laughs> get up to the prison, and, and all of this was authorized by the Colombian government. So yeah, I remember he escaped, escaped that night. The very next day, we show up at the prison. And, and be honest, we're excited. We're happy. Of course. You, know, you got a, stuff to do now. Shot, literally, another shot to get Pablo Escobar. So we're excited. We go to the prison, and wow, what we found, it was like, a, uh, it was just a trove of treasures, uh, great intelligence, information, basically it proved to us what we had been telling people all along. This guy was living in a country club. Now, all this is in the book. Like you said, it came out today, Manhunters, how we took down Pablo Escobar. <laughs> Give the plug how everybody can get the book and everything now and follow you guys also. Oh, that's great. So go to our website, www.deanarcos.com, deanarcos.com. When you, when you get on the homepage, there's a picture of our book. If you click on that, that'll take you to our storefront. Um, you know, you can order it at other sites, Amazon, and, and uh, I can't remember the names. Of it, but there's a bunch, yeah, ton of sites out there you can order the book from. But the difference is when you order from us, we'll sign it. And if you want us to, we'll personalize it to you. So and uh, you, some, won't get, uh, you won't get that anywhere right. else. And there's some books here uh, at the bar. Yes. So. <laughs> Let me ask you this. You guys have a history of getting shot at, history of bringing in kilos and kilos of narcotics, arresting bad, bad people, the process of writing a book. I bet you it was a little more difficult than all that, wasn't it? Because I heard it is. I heard writing a book is so difficult. What surprised you guys the most about writing a book? <laughs> How dumb we are. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we write like cops. <laughs> Saw Pablo, killed him, moved on to the next case. Yeah, you, know, yeah. and, you, um, you, you write facts. And we're, you know, you, like a report. You put the facts down, you know, just the facts, ma'am, you know. And yeah. then uh, it was just. We're using uh, the same words over and over, like yeah. cool and awesome and intense. Yeah. Well, those weren't the words back then. But, uh, see the was cat, neat. Yeah, see the cat cross the street. Okay. It was a black cat. Okay, it's a black cat. You know. Let you know, me ask you this. Because it takes a certain uh, mindset to become law enforcement. So people who raise their right hand and take an, earth, uh, an oath to serve, not many people can do it. And uh, you're messed up if you do it. If you run towards the bad guys and stuff, what made you guys want to join? Well, you know, I've just been a cop. I've wanted to be a cop since I was a little kid. And in the book, I tell how my first run in with the cops because, you know, 
they say we all could go either way on that line. <laughs> when I was a young kid, I was going the wrong side of that line, you know. So uh, I had a run-in with the police who were, you know, quite honestly, trying to commit a B&E in the middle of the night, camping out with my buddies. I'm like 10 or 11 years old, okay. you know, little kids. Uh, just lucky we didn't get shot. But the cops back then, this is, so this was back in the 60s, the cops back then were allowed to use common sense, mm-hmm. you know, which cops still want to do today, but our, our legislators and our politicians you know, and, and all the crap that goes on now, they don't want us to use common sense. They want us to do what they want us to mm-hmm. do. You know, so that's the difference. But it just really impressed me and had a, it had a lifelong effect that, uh, man, that, those guys were really sharp looking. Uh, the, they offered, they said, listen, boys, you know, we're, we'll give you an option here. We're going to take you to jail and put you in jail the rest of your life, or we'll take you <laughs> home to your parents. You, you choose. We all looked at each other and was like, take us to jail. Because <laughs> I knew what my dad was going to do, and he did. <laughs> I, I think you're downplaying how um, invested you are because you were driving seven hours to Washington, D.C. to see about your application. Like you, okay, were, yeah. you were obsessed with becoming law enforcement. Well, I was already a cop then. So I was a, I was a city cop for six years. I was a railroad cop for five and a half years. Mm-hmm. But uh, You were a salty 12-year vet already driving up 12 hours to yeah. go to the DEA. Well, let me tell you, you go to the academy after 12 years, and they're telling you what to do. It's like you <laughs> want to tell them real quick where to get off, but you don't. <laughs> you know, we're not quite that dumb. But um, a friend of mine was a Virginia State Trooper, became, okay. a, became a, a railroad police officer with me. His name's Pete Ramey, and he's the guy that got me interested in DEA. Great old big guy. I mean, just huge man. Uh, one of the most sweetheart people you could ever meet in the world, one of my best friends. And uh, just I got hung up in his stories, and he encouraged me, and it took two years. You know, I actually got turned down by DEA because I, I used to uh, drink a beer every now and then, but I had bleeding ulcers because of it. Oh, God. <laughs> and I'd gotten over it, but the DEA turned me down, so I had to go get special testing and done all that done. But I finally got accepted. And, and Javi, of course you joined because of a girl. <laughs> Everything <laughs> with you girl. is a girl. <laughs> Then that's why we're opposite. Yes, watch, yes, I, watch the theme it, always comes back. It, it, it the always girls, comes back watch to the girls. So yeah. why'd you join because of a girl? Yeah, and you know what? I did not know what DEA was. Okay, I'm, I'm very honest. I was just you looking, thought it was like a dating I, site or yeah, something. Yeah, probably. I was like, hey, where do I sign up? You know, I had just got my degree and it was uh, posted on the bulletin board, and I was just getting my my degree, and I was working with the sheriff's office because I had did a stint at the uh, Texas Department of Corrections and an internship. That's how I got hired at the sheriff's office. Anyway, so being in Laredo, I think I joined the sheriff's office at 19 years old and uh yeah because of a girl it always <laughs> well, what anyway, happened basically, you, guys, you guys broke up or she... yeah basically wow i hate to say it and uh, uh but i left the girl about an hour before my wedding uh, <laughs> <laughs> if you could look at the faces uh, people everybody's looking at me like <laughs> but you gotta hear the rest of the story <laughs> no well anyway but it was a traditional mexican wedding so i said wow i think i need to leave and it's only girl out of uh, eight brothers, so like I said, I there was people wanted to kill me, so I'll just get in line. So I said, <laughs> wow. so I said I need to leave uh, this area, and that and that's where I saw the DEA. Uh, <laughs> you didn't care what that whatever no, three what letters DEA, it was, you were going to those three yeah, letters. A buddy of mine didn't even know. He says, yeah, I think it's the federal narcs, and they were paying seventeen thousand a year. I was making nine thousand at the sheriff's office, nineteen seventy-seven. Wow, so I said, seventeen thousand, man, I'm going to be rich. <laughs> so so l- let's roll with that because yeah. from there. Is this when you're doing undercover stuff? Because in, yeah, in, in the book, you mentioned like undercover stuff with like right. 500 
pounds of I, marijuana I was, on the plane. You were doing some cool right. shit. Yep. I was the only Hispanic guy, uh, you know, Mexican uh, descent, so I was the only Hispanic guy in Austin. And, man, so I, they were using me. I was brand new out of the academy as the godfather of the Mexican yeah. <laughs> cartel. A good-looking guy yeah. who speaks oh, Spanish. Oh, yeah. And, go, I, and, go, I, <laughs> and I play it up. I do the broken <laughs> Spanish, you know, the broken English. All oh, the people were scared of me. We were bringing in loads on there. You know, they put me on an airplane. I didn't know any better, man. <laughs> the airplane, they would put toilet paper on the runway to make sure, okay, there's toilet paper, you can land. You know? <laughs> and then all this, you know, those, those white godfather traffickers, oh, they'd be kissing my ring. And I'd be, I'd be the tough, you know, Mexican godfather. So I was reckless. And then uh, really the other one that always stays in my mind, and it's in the book, is where, you know, they put a gun to my head. My first, one of my first undercover. We did everything wrong. <laughs> you know, Friday afternoon, everybody wants to go home, uh, go in the room, there's, there's a Mexican guy selling a kilo of heroin, go in. I'll never forget when the, you get a gun put on your head. It's, it's a different feeling. And you know what I tell people? It's funny now, but I want to do a, you know what? Time out, buddy. I'm an actor. Let's all go home. You go home. Got me. You guys got me. You got yeah, me. You know what? You go home. I go home. Nobody gets hurt. <laughs> but anyway, you, I learned a lot. The, the streets did a lot of surveillances on the cover. You, did it, you enjoy undercover work? Yes, I did. You know what? It, it was fun. It's that, that adrenaline. Uh, but, you know, let me just tell people, when you do undercover, and you, you guys know, it's not like the movie. Where you know they, you're there's no there. time out. There's yeah, no time yeah, out. no, no. But it's not like you're doing stuff. If I'm here at the bar, I got 20 surveillance agents watching me. <laughs> you know, doing what I'm doing. It's not you're not doing out there stuff on your own. So, and, and Murph, you were doing some cool stuff. You were down in Miami, and you were doing you were down in Turks and Caicos, getting like when you were putting numbers in the book mm-hmm. to even put it into things. Like you were talking about bringing in 400 kilos of cocaine and stuff. Yet a few of those things didn't result in arrest. You said you were getting demoralized. Was that a big thing? What you what you guys were doing demoralization because of no arrest with some certain situations? No, and and that pli- applied more to the Escobar. Uh, that was after I left Miami and went to Columbia, mm-hmm. where you know for eighteen months Javier and I are living with the cops, and, and uh, my wife's back in Bogota by herself. And during that time, we adopted our first daughter, and, and you know I'm wanting to be there. I have two sons also from my first marriage. Okay. And, and they're back in the states, and and as you know, you just it's like you're spinning your wheels. You feel like you're not making any progress, but then <clears throat> you turn around and you see the guys that you're living with that you've got to be good friends with being killed out there. And you know what? It just it's like suck it up there, Buttercup. Quit feeling sorry for yourself. Get your ass back out there to work and do your job. And that's what kept us motivated. But that was during that time. No, when I I got to Miami, so you know you guys will relate to this been a cop for 12 years the most powder cocaine i'd seen at one time was two ounces <laughs> two ounces right the first undercover case we go to turks and caicos sounds we get on a, a uh, it's almost a million dollar boat undercover boat a hatter sport fisherman i didn't even know what it was you know and it took us five days to get down there i was sick for three of the five days because i'm not an ocean going guy you know <laughs> get down there we picked up 400 kilos so i go from two ounces to 880 two ounces, pounds of coke let me jump in Murph. two ounces is a big is a big score back then you're like oh my yeah, god two ounces was, yeah yeah but 880 pounds? I mean, I'm not going to tell you what part of me was excited, but it was like that for about three days. But I, it just, you know, and it just after that, it just got to be fun, and, and you're doing undercover, and it was violent down there in Miami in the 80s. And like you were in shootouts and stuff. Yeah. yeah we had, um, you know, like Javier said, we went to do an undercover deal one day, and, and, and me and my partner and another guy, we're the inside arrest team. Mm-hmm. And we got a couple backup teams out there in the street, hidden out in the community, and we got an undercover agent and an informant in this house in the front part, and they're going to – they're going to, uh, it's a buy bus for 17 kilos of coke. 
Now, anywhere else in, in the United States, that'd be a pretty big deal back yeah. during that time. But Miami, that was like doing a couple ounces. Yeah, that's nickels and dimes. And honestly, it was a reason to get out of the office because we were going to call Federal Friday. <laughs> we were going to knock these guys off. We were going to head to Fort Lauderdale. Our wives were going to meet us there, mm-hmm. our girlfriends. And, and uh, you know, just start the weekend. And that's the true story. So, uh, you know, Murphy's Law kicks in whenever it can. And it uh, turns out the bad guys there were just to rip us off. So they they uh, ended up uh, we ended up shoot out and they, my partner got hit twice and the informant was killed. Oh, the informant was killed. Yeah, he got shot right in the throat. I, I always say this: BC before Columbia, you're doing undercover work. When did you guys? <laughs> when did you guys hear about this guy called Pablo Escobar? Was his name ever trickled out, or was it like, oh, I heard about this drug guy, Pablo Escobar? Because you guys weren't in Columbia yet. When did you hear his name first? I. Basically, when I got there in 88, I had heard of him, but just in general. Okay. And then when I get there, I'm doing other cases, and then also my boss says, oh, you're going to be assigned the Pablo Escobar investigation. Well, okay. Who's really, who's Pablo Escobar? Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, so I studied him. We started learning. And then uh, at that time, we were only doing temporary assignments to Medellin. We'd go for one or two days because it was really bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, come back. And, uh, but, you know, started learning him, started knowing uh, what his organization was all about. And then all of a sudden, this guy's responsible for 80% of the cocaine that was reaching the world. But the coup d'etat, I mean, the, the, it was just, it's just the terrorism. That's one of the things. I think that you, when you came on my show in January, you called yep. it narco terrorism. Yep, narco terrorism. We called him the inventor of narco terrorism. And, you know, uh, we saw the initiation of the car bombs which we had never seen before. This were some of the deadliest uh, terrorist acts, you know, because we was placing them everywhere and anywhere. It was in Bogota, Medellin, shopping centers, outside our police base, thousands of police officers and civilians, citizens. Let me ask you, how much time on did you have before you got to Columbia? Uh, four years. So you had four, four years yeah, on. I four years in Austin, Texas, and then I put in for Mexico. Okay. And they made a mistake, and they sent me to Colombia. Of course, of course, the feds make a mistake. <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? you want? Yeah. You yeah. want Mexico? Sure. Yeah. yeah you got yeah. Colombia. Yeah. My boss comes in. Javier, did you put in for Colombia? Said, no, sir. <laughs> well, you're going to Colombia. Okay. Now, <laughs> let me ask you this, Javier. Yeah. When, when you get down there, what are your day-to-day activities down there in Colombia? You yeah. land in Colombia. You're right. four years on. Yeah. I'm, I know you're excited now because you're in your Colombia. You, yeah. you make the turn. You see the girls in Colombia. I know Javi gets excited. <laughs> what are your day-to-day activities down there in Colombia? Day-to-day activities, it was kind of uh, – we came in, and the general talk in the office – no names will be mentioned, but the general talk is, hey, most of these cops are dirty, uh, don't work with them. The, and the was, Colombian cops? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I just – so what do we do here? I mean, uh, we'll just stay in the office. So – Slowly started going, and, uh, and you know what, what worked for us? Knowing that, that you were interested in the cases, in helping them out, and it was a two-way street. They used to tell us, you know what, God? we give the gringos all this information, we never get anything mm. back. So once we started changing that culture, and by changing it is by uh, listening to the wiretaps, sending information, uh, then giving them results. Guys, we just got 200 keys of coke in Miami because of your information. And then you know what, what, what was going, for, uh, was one of the best, uh, you know, character was giving them an attaboy letter. They loved attaboy letters. So, you know, hey, because your information. Yeah, a little pat on the back, yeah, of course. That, that common sense, a little pat on the back, it, it went in their file. But once they knew you were working with it, it was totally. It changes different. the whole morale. Yeah. I mean, I go there, and then all of a sudden, there'd be like twenty cassette tapes 
to listen to. And this cassette tapes were like, all right, this loads in New going oh. to New York. And they would give like coordinates and they would disguise it. Yeah, it's, we're setting 20 uh, uh, white head of cattle. Come on, you know, 20 white head of cattle. Not that. Uh, <laughs> All these farmers yeah, down yeah, here in Colombia. Yeah, yeah. And New York was called Las Torres, the towers. That's the, you know, Miami was La Playa, the beach. So it was great information. So we were knocking them down, you know, left and right. And but showing that you cared and that it was a That letter that, yeah. yeah, once you give the, uh, hey, great job, it, it, uh, it motivates people. Right, right. And, and now, Merv, how long did you, how much time did you have on before you joined him? Four years. I did four years in Miami and then. Um, did, now, did you want Columbia? Well, that's funny. My. <coughs> My wife is a uh, uh, pretty tough girl. Uh-huh. When I first met her, I, I watch Narcos. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You met her in the bowling alley. I watched yeah, the whole yeah, thing. I know no, all about that's, it. That's Hollywood right there. So, um, actually, I gave her best friend a speeding ticket when I was a uniform cop. She got oh, me back and introduced me to my wife. You know, so, uh, but thank you. Um, it's funny because we were in Miami, and my wife's a registered nurse. You know, and and uh, she likes the. She likes the gory stuff. I think it's gross. Okay. You know, trauma and mercy room and all that. And she came to me one day. She said, you know, life here in Miami has been really exciting for us. What's the next most exciting thing we could do? I said, well, we can go to Columbia. And she's like, are you freaking crazy? <laughs> oh, so you knew already that Columbia was wild. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we were working. So in Miami, you know, you're, at, you're working with the offices down there. Mm-hmm. And uh, so an agent came up from, from Barranquilla, and we went to dinner with him. And my wife got to peppering with questions for three hours and then she came to me a couple like weeks later she said hey if we're gonna do it let's do it while we're young i love that she put you in it like hey it's dangerous let's go down there yeah she put you down there <laughs> oh you know what it was just as dangerous for her because especially when after escobar escaped yeah i'm never home well, i'm living in medellin you you just nailed the part i want to talk about and like i said again when i had javi on in, uh, in january i said do you think really that uh, pablo escobar knew who you guys were in the book just read the first five pages because you knew he knew who the hell you guys were yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, he, you know, did, he did, and we were the only two, two gringos. Yes, you know, at, so obviously it's you guys. Block, at the search block was in the middle of a neighborhood. So, yeah. so number, if you get down there, and is he in jail or he just escaped from jail when you get down there? He had he was ready to surrender. So I got to, so you I, you got down there, Murph, on a cake detail. You get down like the guys are ready. Let no, me no, sit no, back no, and no, no. What happened was he had a he, sweet life, then Murphy. He heard Murphy was in town. He just oh, might as well give it up. He he heard about the speed Surrendered. tickets you were giving. He didn't want anything yeah, to do with that. He had a speed. That's right. Yeah. Get a speed ticket. He's like, I don't want my wife getting a speed ticket. Let me go That's surrender. Right. That's right. So he gets down the and Escobar is getting ready to surrender. Yeah. Okay. So he surrenders. I get there on Monday. He surrenders on what Thursday? I think it was. I hope yeah. you choked that up. You probably wrote that up. My your first thing. You're your first right. mission. <laughs> I need a promotion and a reward. And then so now, while he's in jail in the cathedral, and we're going to get to his jail. Uh, one of you guys slept in his bed. I heard it's great stories. What's your? Oh, is it? Of course, it was Javi. <laughs> What's your assignment then? Once Escobar, because the way the show. Let me ask you this: the way Narcos um, is portrayed is that you guys are obsessed twenty four seven with Escobar. He's in jail. What are your activities then? Are you guys going after other people? Are you focused on other missions? What's your job then when Escobar's in jail? Yeah, it, it was other missions, <clears throat> other cases. You know, there was tons of good cases. We we forgot about Escobar. Basically, he's in jail. And there was a lot of uh, stipulations, a lot of agreements that you're not going to mess with him. You're not, you know, nobody could go visit him. You know, all this were from the government. Sure. So he was off limits, basically. <coughs> okay. So we did other cases. We forgot about Pablo Escobar. Deep down, we already, you know, we always knew he was up to no good. But uh, we did a lot of other cases. So it, it wasn't him until after the escape is then when we focused all our attention back on Escobar. And, and then it was only Escobar? Because only Escobar, yes. Let's jump to Netflix. That's how everybody knows you guys. 
how'd that show come about? Did you guys collaborate that and say, hey, we have this great pitch for you guys, or did people come to you? Well, uh, you know, a couple years before Netflix came along, a couple a friend of mine in D.C. is a small-time producer, and he introduced us to a couple of Hollywood guys, and and they wanted to take our story and make – they had personal agendas. You know, they want okay. to make political statements out of our story, and that's that's not what we're about. You know, we're cops. So we turned them both down, and, and our whole careers, people have been saying, hey, you guys need to write a book, you need to do a TV show. And that's not why you do it. You, you know, you don't go out here and arrest people to make a to, to write a book about. Mm-hmm. So uh, we just kind of gave up on it, and, and by then we'd both been promoted to, to special agents in charge within DEA, and, and Javier at that time was in charge of the Houston division, which was our biggest division. And I'm running a multi-agency facility there in D.C. This, what a headache, but that's, <laughs> that's in the past. Um, so um, mandatory retirement age in feds is 57. We were both 56. Okay. Well, the administrator offered – she has the – at that time had the authority to grant us a three-year extension, and she offered it to both of us, and we accepted because both my daughters were in college at that time, and I just had to have a job. <laughs> so uh, that's when uh, this, this retired Marine calls us, and we used to work with him in Columbia. I hadn't talked to this guy in over 20 years, and, and he's like, hey, there's a guy in Hollywood who wants to talk to you. I see, you know, we've been down this road twice, and we're not interested, mm-hmm. and, you know. If you know any retired Marines, they can be a little colorful in their language and a little yeah, persuasive. My partner right there, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so after he cussed me out on the phone, I'm like, okay, okay. You know, his name's Gil Macklin. Uh, I'll take the meeting. I promise, yeah, Gil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gil, I'll call the guy. I just get over my back. So uh, I called this guy named Eric Newman, and, and he kind of explained things to me. And uh, I said, you know, thanks, but no thanks. We're not interested. He's like, really? You, you mean you don't even want to talk to us about it? And I said, no, we've been down this road twice. So he said, listen, if I come to D.C., would you just have dinner with me? Let me bring two writers, give us two or three hours. If you say it's no, it's no. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm thinking, and this is the honest God's truth, I'm thinking they're going to take me to a nice restaurant. It's going to be a free meal. Yes, I'll they're go. They're going to wine and dine. You'll go, of course. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll whore ourselves. This is why we're the greatest. We're going to whore ourselves out for a free meal. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's like this shirt. The reason I'm wearing this shirt is free. So they gave me this shirt, you know. So, and that's true. <laughs> so anyway, um, you know what? Before we met, Javier and I, we did our research on these guys. Eric Newman is the son of Randy Newman, who wrote the songs for all the old movies out in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. I mean, comes from a Hollywood family, well-educated, successful in film industry and all that. And when we met, our personalities clicked. So uh, at the end of the night, he said, so what are you going to do? And I said, well, Javier and I will discuss it, but I think we'll probably move forward with you see what wow. happens. He said, uh, one more, more question. He said, why are you guys so hesitant? Why don't you want to do tell mm-hmm. your story? And we said the last thing we want to happen is that anybody would ever glorify Pablo Escobar because he's nothing more than a mass murderer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that night Eric promised, he said, I promise you we'll never glorify this guy. Now, in our opinion, he's lived up to his word. A lot of people seem to think that that Escobar is glorified in Narcos, but it's not not the storyline. It's the actor. Mm -hmm. That guy, Wagner Mora, is such a good actor. He's incredible. He had me feeling sorry for Pablo, and I'm thinking, holy cow. I'm like, damn it, these Murphy and Payne guys weren't that great. When you guys leave the restaurant that night after being wined and dined, you guys call each other. Did you really think it was going to be a hit, or you were like, who cares about this? Like, who's going to care? You know what? That's a great question. Thank you. And I was the first one, and I I called Steve, and I said, you know what? No one's going to watch this. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a complete flop. It's going to have, like I said, no viewership, and boy, were we wrong (laughs) with that. Uh, And uh, you know what? Narcos is one of the most watched uh, series in uh, Netflix. Narcos gets hit off. When did you guys know it was something? Was there a call of maybe a social media thing, or when did you know, holy shit, this is huge? Well, we had our, uh, we've got our speaking business. We, we're still, this is our fourth year of our world tour is what the agents call it. And, and it is pretty busy. We do about 75 shows a year. Mm-hmm. So um, we were doing it just a few times a year, 
but when season one of Narcos came out, it, uh, that year we did 82 appearances. Right. So and that's we, when we knew. And we were doing them to law enforcement, DEA, sure. basically. Yeah, once a year, twice a year, how how we did it. And, you know, we had a little basic PowerPoint. But then, uh, like Steve said, when, when Narcos uh, came up, it was just, you know, uh, private organizations, you know, law enforcement groups, universities, colleges uh, were, were called. And then you're like, and, oh, we have something. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know what, I think really when it, when it hit uh, – when uh, we went to the premiere, uh, Netflix. Oh wow! Yeah, if you all ever get to go to a premiere, <laughs> do it. You know, they fly you up, uh, red carpet, great party. You know, free booze, free all that stuff. Anyway, Tell so the truth, good looking yeah, girls. Yeah, oh, yeah, but, yeah. But there was a, a high executive, <laughs> and I'm not going to mention high executive with Netflix there. And uh, basically, he told us, you know what? Uh, have you all? Uh, uh, heard of uh, the show uh, House of Cards. Mm-hmm. Remember House of Cards? Of course. Yep, everybody's House of Cards. He says, well, Narcos is knocking on their door. Unbelievable. For, mm-hmm. you know, so, and they're very secretive. That's why we yeah. said, you know, they don't mention, you know, stats, but that's when we said. And then uh, he told us, you know, he said, uh, I saw the first show. He says, I ordered up another series. So wow. more money for us. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I know you guys ate Del Frisco's. Believe me, I know. <laughs> Two questions about Narcos that mattered to me. Number one. Did they kill? Did they really kill your cat, uh, Puff? <laughs> did they? So we had a cat oh. named Puff, oh my God. and we had a hard time getting Puff in the country like they portray in the show. And Puff did die in Colombia. Was he murdered? No, he was old. He had a heart attack. <laughs> Thank God. Because this is my cat Pickles. Oh, there you go. Yeah, you go. and I would. It's once I read that that I'm like, listen, I'm so pro yeah. Murphy the, and Payne. Now yeah. we have to start busting heads. And two, I want the truth here. We're men. We, we, we don't lie to each other. Was he as smooth with the ladies as he was portrayed in the show? So there's a lot in Narcos. It's Hollywood, but that's the one thing that's true. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, all right, oh, man. man. Now, let me clarify. And, let me clarify. Podcast, that's what I want to hear, the podcast. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? That is the number one asked question for me. Because you were so smooth. Did I have sex with all of them? Like, come on, man. <laughs> so let me just clarify. He was Please not do. dating hookers or communists or informants, but every other woman in hey. Columbia is fair game. <laughs> 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 That's my man. My, wow, he's my man. He's my <laughs> idol. How long were you guys in, down in Columbia in total? Uh, total for me, I did six years. Wow. I went back and did uh, about three. I did total nine years. Pablo Escobar three. escapes. You did three? Three. Pablo Escobar escapes from jail. Now all the other missions are the, on the back burner, right? And it was just right. 24-7. That's it. It's only capture Pablo Escobar? Right. The show portrays you guys as sometimes not being able to leave the office and stuff. Was that true? Were you guys out there in the streets just searching, yeah. trying to get intel? Like, you know what? Uh, we were we were assigned to the search block in Medellin, mm-hmm. so that we were living with. We had a specialized group of guys living with them, so we went out on operations. Yes, every day. You're not supposed to, but you know what? Uh, we did it, and uh, if we hadn't done it. The cops would not have any respect for us. Uh, hey, how, we're getting shot, and you two guys are over here watching TV. So uh, we talked about it, and we decided to go out on every raid. We, you know, and they wanted us wanted us there with with them. Plus, we also had a lot of information to give to them with informants. Well, that's what I was going to uh, ask you. How did you get your information? As oh, there was as two as two yeah. like a white guy in a Spanish guy, but yet yeah. gringos from America. Yeah. Why were they giving you guys information down there? Like, and who was giving you information? Yeah, we created an eight hundred number where the reward for Pablo Escobar mm-hmm. was up to five million dollars. Wow, that's so where your information comes from. That's, that's where exactly the information right. comes from. Yeah, and they wanted to talk to the gringos at the base because 
obviously we had the we had the money. Wow. But all this is in cooperation with the Colombian National Police. They knew they they protect us. We we'd go meet the informant not in the base. We met him at a bus station in uh, in Medellin. So they would tell us what they're wearing, and we'd have a uh, we'd send up cops before make sure it wasn't a hit on us that they weren't gonna kill us. And uh, so we got a lot of that information. Technology, as you know, the technology. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of toys out there that were uh, were given to the cops. And and uh, like I said, then the regular informants <coughs> just calling mm-hmm. us. We had informants that were coming in from other places uh, that knew Pablo Escobar. So it, it was a great uh, search operation in that the sharing of intelligence was done on a daily basis. I wrote down a couple of stats. Let me know if they're yeah. true or false. You already nailed one of them. 80% of the cocaine in the world was coming from Pablo Escobar and his camp, right? True. Yes, true. 80%. Think about that. I mean, if you had a business, wouldn't you like to have 80% of the market? It's unbelievable. Didn't you guys say he ran it like a, he was a CEO? Like yeah, he was, yeah. was he a good businessman? Well, if you didn't uh, listen to him, he'd kill you and your family. So, I mean, it was based on violence. That's how he ran his organization. Net worth around $30 billion. That's true. Yes. <laughs> yes. And that, you know what? That's These not numbers the U.S. And it probably could be more than that. You know? That's not the government making up the numbers. That's Forbes magazine. How about this one? $2,500 a month on rub bands. That true? <laughs> okay, yeah, okay, yeah, okay. That, that, might be, that might be Hollywood. That may be a Netflix. So, yeah. All right. Well, you know what? That's Netflix thing. What is your day-to-day? I keep asking you day-to-day because I'm fascinated with this stuff now. Day-to-day when you got there, then you guys go on other missions. Now Pablo mm-hmm. finally, was, finally escapes, and you know he's hiding out all over the place. Mm-hmm. Are you guys just doing regular 9 to 5? You working just crazy hours? Are you home shooting down? Because the show doesn't obviously give day-to-day right. stuff. What are you day-to-day? Are you guys working no, together it, like, hey? Yeah, it, it was day and night. There would be night operations. There would be day operations. Everything was planned. Everything was here's his location. At the beginning, we should have got, uh, captured him and or killed him. How so? What do you mean? Well, we we had a uh, – there was an officer who didn't really like us being there at the search block, and uh, he uh, put a lot of road stops when, you know, we had him located, did not want to give us the manpower, did not want to come out. So uh, we talked to our ambassador who talked to the president of Colombia, and then we put the band back together again. By that I mean we brought in the original guys who were not there, and they hated Pablo Escobar, meaning Colonel Martinez. You guys were obsessed with Escobar. What's one thing that fascinated you about him? The level of violence he was willing to go to just on on a moment's notice. You know, the, there's a lot of people out there that try to promote or they choose to believe the theory that he was a devoted family man. That's well, he was Robin Hood, they said, yeah. Yeah, that's none of that's true. I mean, did he – now, he did go out and he built clinics for poor people. He built housing, soccer fields. He gave them money. He gave them food. But then when he needed new Sicarios, when he needed new assassins because all his old ones had been killed, where do you think he went to? Right back in that neighborhood. And, man, they thought he was God because, you know, they'd put a, he'd put a roof over their head. Mm-hmm. So these kids were stepping up, and we're talking teenagers. He might go in there and say, "Listen, guys, I need a hundred new. You know, I need a hundred people that are come that are willing to come and kill for me, that are willing to die for me." And the sad thing is, he might have three, four hundred kids step up to take those positions. So, the one thing that surprised you the most was his violence. Yeah, it was for me. Yeah, no, me too. The violence and, and that uh, that attitude where I'm going to kill as many people as I can, and it was a challenge, uh, you know, towards his country. He wanted. Uh, he wanted numbers. He wanted numbers in people getting killed. That way he could negotiate and they'd have to listen to him. Watching the first season of Narcos and maybe the second one, 
Were you guys happy with three things? One, how you guys are portrayed. Two, how the people of Colombia were portrayed. And three was how Escobar was portrayed. Uh, I think the actors. Oh, the actors definitely did a great job. We were very. You guys happy. are way better, better looking, by the way. Uh, okay. Let me explain. Thank you, yeah. and th and thank next, you for that. Next way beer. better looking. Next yeah. beer's on me. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for that. Yeah, no, the actors did a great job. They're great, uh, great uh, guys, and uh, we got along with them uh, very well. And what was the other one? How about the people of Colombia? How did you feel that they were portrayed in the series? Yeah, <clears throat> I don't. Th um, it was okay, but in reality. So I go to Columbia. The only Columbians I ever met was the ones I put in jail in Miami. Okay. So you go down with this stereotype in your mind, which is wrong. Yeah, of course. You know, but you get down there and, and you know, I'm a country boy and it's just, I'm just a redneck. So I get down there and what I learned and my wife learned as well is Colombians are some of the nicest people in the world. They're just stigmatized by that very small group of people who are involved in illegal activities or maybe it's the insurgent groups, FARC or M19 and the other groups mm -hmm. that are going on down there. So that, that's, what's get public, that's what gets publicized to the world. But in reality, Colombia is one of the most beautiful countries you'll ever go to. The people there are very proud. If you go in and just try to get along, accept their culture, try to speak what Spanish you can, mm -hmm. you know, be willing to laugh at yourself, there's no problem at all. If you go in and act like the ugly American, they'll tell you real quick where to get off. And I don't have a problem with that. I mean, it's their country, so you should go down and respect their culture, right? So that was, a, that was a pleasant surprise, and I think they probably could have portrayed the Colombian people, the innocent, mm -hmm. hardworking right. people of Colombia a little better. And I just got to add, the Colombian police are some of the best in the world. Mm -hmm. You know what? I saw those guys get killed. They never gave up. They always kept coming back. They always kept fighting Pablo Escobar. And I think we, we mentioned in the book where we say, you know, they're, they're, you know they was, used to tell us when we got there, they said, you know, we're not here to... Uh, seize money. We're not here to seize dope. We're here to get Pablo Escobar. It was a revenge for them because yeah, of all the their eye was always on the prize. And in the book, you guys really like uh, portrayed that. Yeah. And how about number three? How did you feel Netflix portrayed Pablo Escobar? Uh, I think they did a great job. And the guy that brought it all home was Wagner Mora, the actor. This guy, <clears throat> you know, and the funny thing is, in real life, Wagner Mora is one of the most gentle per people <laughs> I've ever met in my life. His wife is just as sweet as he is. I mean, just. Lovely people is a nice way to say it about him, but man, he really he really hammered on Pablo, and he brought out that he brought out that side where you could see him being uh, caring about his children, mm -hmm. and then it, you know two seconds later he's ordering somebody to have their head taken off or tortured or whatever. Now let me ask you a question. Go ahead. The subtitles. How did you feel about the subtitles? I, there's it, a lot of mixed feelings on that. It made it more genuine. Yeah, I couldn't. That's, yeah. I couldn't watch a show with Pablo Escobar speaking English. That wouldn't. Okay. That wouldn't do it for me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that that's what a lot of people tell us. <laughs> yeah. Because there, there, and I'll be honest, there was a lot of talk among the Netflix people. Do we do subtitles? You do had we to not do subtitles. I think so. having Pablo Escobar. If you guys need me to do the next yeah. to, to help out, I'll do it production-wise. <laughs> to have a show with Pablo Escobar, someone speaking English. It, it defeats yes, the whole purpose of it. Good, good. And the other one, which I think they did a great job, and I don't know how they pulled it off, but they filmed it all in Colombia. Oh, did they really? Everything First was filmed seasons. in Colombia. And uh, it just portrays that reality, uh, the streets of Medellin, the bars. Uh, yeah, so they, they, they did a great job of doing that. The final days of Pablo Escobar, did you guys know that the noose was tightening? Did you know it was happening? Or was it so many false positives like, dude, nah, I'm just getting it, drained out? We, we knew it was happening. We knew it was happening because we were monitoring his family and the phones Pablo Escobar needed to be talking to his son and uh, we so happened to have his frequency 
So we were monitoring. We knew he was, we were close to it. So, yeah, yes. Let's go to that final day, the famous day. I know you were in Florida. Right, right. And I, you weren't getting – let's say this. You weren't getting in trouble. In no, the book, I know. In the, I in know. the book, you, you tell the truth. Yeah, you weren't I, down in Florida I, getting I got, in trouble. Yeah, real quick before yes. I turn it over to Steve, I got – the ambassador calls me up says, you need to go to Florida. There's an informant who only wants to talk to you, and he knows where Pablo Escobar is. I said, Mr. Ambassador, with all due respect – Pablo's in Medellin. We're very close. He says, I do not care. You get on the plane or oh. I'll kick you out of the country. So I left. And the irony, <laughs> you know who tells me Pablo's bar has been killed? As soon as I get to Miami, the informant's on the phone, puts the phone down and says, oh, yeah, they just killed Pablo Escobar. Oh. <laughs> anyway, so Steve was there. So I'll let Steve run through the. Yeah, so um, first of all, you know, if you watch the Netflix series, uh, it shows that I was on the roof when Pablo was killed. I wasn't there. I was uh. back at the base. Okay. So that's Hollywood. And the, and the reason I point that out is... I would never tell that... Steve, I have to tell you this, Murph. If this was me, I'm going to tell you the truth. Let, let, me give you, let me give you a hint. I would have said I was the who tackled him, and then he rolled away. Yeah. I, we're going to work on the story, Murph. We we'll might, talk, do, we'll we might do a second we'll edition later. of this book. Okay, go. <laughs> no, but, and, the, and the reason I point that out is every show we do, whatever audience we speak to, we did the same thing last night. We were at the Harvard Club here in New York City. Um, the one thing we ask people to remember, you can forget everything else we've told you, you can forget what's in the book, but the one thing we ask the world to remember is the true heroes of this entire investigation. It's not Javier and me. I mean, people call us American heroes, and that's a really nice title to have. We don't subscribe to it. We don't agree with it because we were just professional cops, just like all of you in here. The true heroes are the Columbia National Police because they took their country back from this piece of shit right mm -hmm. there. Those are the heroes. That's what we want the world to know. That's the reason we do our shows. We tell the truth. That's the reason we did the book is to tell the truth. You're in the office. Do you hear the radio transmission, Viva Columbia? Do you hear that or no? Is that, was that a movie thing, Netflix? No, actually, I did hear yeah. that. So the way wow. it started, I'm with, you know, we had the U.S. Army's Delta Force. We had the U.S. Navy SEAL Team 6 with us for 18 months. Mm -hmm. Studs of the world, ladies. I'm, I'm not kidding you. These are, I, if I'm, Javier and I, we tell audiences, if we're ever kidnapped, that's who I want to come and get me because they're that good. Uh -huh. Just unbelievable. But they follow orders, and the orders, we're all under the same orders, don't leave the base. Oh. Well, we, we violated those orders every day because we're going out on operations. Love it. So that day, I'm standing in the doorway. We had a little room where all the gringos would hang out. And, you know, it's, it's kind of nice to go talk to somebody in your own language every once in a while. So, and we've gotten to be friends with these guys. And I'm standing there talking to them, and, and I see, you know, the executive staff for the police is, is hurrying over to the colonel's office. And I'm like, yeah, okay, something's happening here. So I told the guys, let me go see what's happening. I'll be back. I go over, and the, and the colonel, we had become good enough friends. You know, he motions for me to come on in, and, and you're standing there listening, and he's on the phone with his son. So his son, Lieutenant Hugo Martinez, is the guy that found Pablo mm -hmm. using radio directional finding equipment. So, uh, you know, the colonel's telling him, hey, listen, stand by. We, we're going to mount up the troops. Just make sure he doesn't get away. Uh, wait till we get there. If you have to do what you, you know, if you have to do something, go do what you got to do. So, you know, we're talking about mounting up 600 troops. Now, these guys aren't allowed to carry weapons in the base, so you've got to get everybody together. You've got to issue weapons. You've got to get the trucks out. You've got to make sure everybody's accounted for, oh. sign responsibility. You can imagine how long it takes, right? So in the meantime, the radio gets quiet. Well, next thing you know, you hear this major comes up on the radio and says, Viva Colombia, Pablo's dead. Wow. You know, and in the meantime, I'm talking to the lieutenant colonels and the majors, and they're, they're all kind of whispering, yeah, yeah, we think we got him this time. And, but we'd heard that so many times before, you don't okay. get your hopes up. Well, this time it was true. We got the guy. And what do you do at this point? Forget about the gun. You ran and grabbed your camera because you were the only guy with the camera. <coughs> well, actually, I ran over to the phone. Okay. <laughs> to call the embassy to tell our boss what had happened. 
By the time I, it took forever. By the time I got my boss on the phone, he told me Pablo was dead. I didn't tell him because <laughs> the, the head of the Columbia National Police, the first person he called wasn't the president. He called the head of DEA in Columbia, a guy named Joe Toft. Come on, really? This guy, mm-hmm. Joe Toft will bust your stones in a heartbeat, but he had our backs. You know, he's mm-hmm. that kind of guy, so we had a lot of respect for him. So uh, he told me, he said, you get out there and confirm this is Pablo. So I run to the barracks, you know, grab my weapon and everything, grab my cameras, come running out. And the whole 600-man force is gone. <laughs> the only people there are the guards on the gates and the secretaries. I'm like, geez, you know. So all these things start going through your mind. Can I, can I get a rental car? Can I call a taxi? I don't yeah, know how far is the distance from here to Escobar? Oh, I don't know. What, five, six miles? Yeah, it wasn't that far. Okay. So, And I'm just standing there trying to figure out what you're going to do. And lo and behold, here comes a Jeep driving back in, and it's Colonel Martinez with his bodyguard and his driver. He came back in to get his video camera. He's like, Steve, they – they couldn't say Steve down there. It came out as Stick. Okay. So my nickname down there was Stick. You know, he's like, Stick, you want to go out? I'm like, oh, well, yeah. So he's like, get in the Jeep. So that's how I got out there is I rode out with Colonel Martinez. Now we get out there, it's just pandemonium. You know, the our guys, the CMP guys are setting up perimeters. The people are coming out of the woodwork, you know, the people that live around there because they heard this big gun battle. Mm-hmm. Um, get to go inside and see everything. I get up to the third floor of this townhouse or this row house looking down on the second there's a two-story townhouse attached on the back side and i'm looking down the roof that's where our dahin guys are the guys we've been working with for 18 months mm-hmm. and they're all down there standing over pablo's body and when i yelled at them they look up at the window and they they're holding their rifles up ah, you know cheering what's going on i'm snapping pictures and uh, there, there's a lot of cameras out there that day but nobody's worked except mine um, we go around come out with colonel martinez go around the house climb up on the roof you know get all the close-up pictures that you've seen of Escobar and all that stuff. I took all those pictures, and then the family shows up. Now, I'm still on the roof. Escobar's family. Yeah. So people say, well, you know, people today will still say, that's not really Escobar. How can you tell from a picture? Yes. Well, I mean, we do have autopsy results. we got fingerprint results. DNA wasn't a big thing back then. Okay. Um, but the real telling tale was when his sister and his mother saw him. When you saw their reactions, and i got to tell you, his sister, she's – She's a smart ass. Mm-hmm. So she's, you know, the bodyguard got shot. And he fell off the roof. He's laying on the ground. And so his sister's like, I want to see my brother. You say you killed my brother. I want to see him. And so she kind of elbows her way through all the cops. She gets over and she sees the bodyguard. She's like, oh, you're a bunch of idiots. That's not Pablo Escobar. You killed the wrong man again. You guys are the worst cops in the world. You're so inept. You don't even know what Pablo Escobar looks like. That's not Pablo. You know, she's just giving them yeah. what for. And the cops just stand there for a minute. And they, when she finally calms down a little bit, they say, hey, look on the roof, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so she she climbs the ladder sees and, and when i saw that reaction you no, knew it was no question that's pop now you got a lot of shit for that uh picture right or did you get a shit for you being in the picture initially i did you know <laughs> washington wasn't real happy to see me standing over a dead body smiling like i've been on a big deer hunt where know? is that photo right now uh the original uh i don't even know it's probably somewhere in my house how isn't that display? I have to talk to you because one, you should have said you were there. You tackled him. Now, you, that that would be I'll tell you my Christmas card every year. That's what I would do to send everybody. <laughs> you you would roll Mike. up. You would drive down my apartment. Oh, that must be Mike's house because there's a big picture of him holding Escobar. Now, um, true or Mike, false? You're a sick puppy. <laughs> true or false? Was there mis- mixed reactions in Columbia with him dying? Yes, of course. Yeah, the the people in Medellin, you know, they paraded his the casket. They took it out of the morgue. They're parading it uh, down the street. A lot of people are crying because they love Pablo Escobar. Yes, uh, but I think the majority of Colombians were ecstatic, were happy because that meant 
there'd be no more killings, no more car bombs, no more, you know, targeting uh, citizens. I'm going to tell you what, yeah. the stat you guys told me one time, uh, I don't know if I read it or it was an interview or Javi, you might have told me when you came on my show the mm -hmm. first time. People love to write, oh, the war on drugs failed, it didn't matter, Escobar. Didn't the murder rate drop, what was the percentage of the murder rate drop when he died? We checked the uh, statistics before he died, and then they, we checked the statistics a few months after he died. The murder rate in Medellin dropped by almost 80%. It, incredible. Yeah. How do you argue with that? Yeah. And, and I know Netflix— And 80% were people killed by Pablo Escobar Sicarius. Netflix, basically, if you watch Netflix, your career <laughs> ended when Escobar died, but especially in Manhunters, how we took down Pablo Escobar. You see how I'm professional? Do the plug for you guys. Your career didn't end with there. What was your next assignments after that? Yeah. I, I ended up in, I got uh, promoted to group supervisor, which is like a sergeant. I had uh, 10 guys. I had uh, P, uh, PRPD guys, Puerto Rico police guys. Task force did three years. Then uh, headquarters, two years. Then that's when I go back to Colombia as the number two guy. Oh, you went back to Colombia? Yep, yeah, yeah, Oh, you love the Colombian girls. Oh, yeah. Hop, hop. <laughs> <laughs> and I helped out with the uh, with Cali cartel guys. Okay. Rodriguez Arruela guys. And then after that, San Antonio then got promoted to our highest ranks, which is SES, Senior Executive Service of San Francisco, four years, and I loved, you know what, cops in, in New York, San Francisco, y'all are just, uh, <laughs> it's the old style of, of policing, great cops, you know, it's like, all right, let's kick this door down, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Very active. It, it was a great, you know, had a great experience here in San Francisco. Then went back to Puerto Rico as the boss, which wow. was good for okay. me. So you, covered, you, had a, you had a big yeah, run. Yeah. And I covered half, I covered the Caribbean countries. You know, the St. Martin, no wonder I was always in St. Martin. Hey, well, there's a lot of cases there, right? Yeah. <laughs> Santa <laughs> yeah, Dominican Republic. Anyway, so then I, I retired as the boss out of Houston, uh, Texas. And how about you, Murph? When after Went from uh, Miami to Bogota, then to Greensboro, North Carolina. Started working crack cocaine case. I've never seen crack in my life. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, you know what? We were we built those cases up, so we were going after the heads of the organization. Okay. Uh, from Greensboro to Atlanta, first line supervisor, then to headquarters and special operations, then back to Atlanta as an ASAC, then back to Washington as an SES, and that's where I retired. Let's have some fun, do a few quick questions, all right? All right. Have you guys hung out with the real actors that played you guys? Yes. Yes, we have. Are they good guys, guys? Great guys. They... they uh, they'll have their uh, cocktails. They like their cigars, just like us. So, well, Steve doesn't drink, so I drink for him. So if you <laughs> buy him, like, I'll, 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 I'll make sure he gets home. Yeah. How about this one? Coolest person you guys met while hanging out with other cool actors? Mm, I don't know. One more time. The coolest. What? Coolest person you guys met? Oh, while doing this Hollywood tour, you oh. guys are famous now. Uh, I, I I think the executive. Uh, uh, producer um, Eric, Newman. Uh, Eric Newman, great guy. That's a big we name. Were, yeah, he, he was in. Uh, we were in Medellin together, and I got to meet uh, Wagner Mora. Hung out with him. Got to meet uh, the exec, the director. Um, what's uh, wow. Jose Padilla? Jose Padilla, Brazilian guy, and him and Wagner were good friends. And and you saw, you know what? I got to see how. Ah, we're gonna do it this way. No, we're not. <laughs> it was like you didn't be organized. It was the most disorganized. <laughs> But <laughs> I hate to I, say that. But. For me, I think uh, not only Eric, but uh, Chris Brancato oh, yes, was yes. another executive producer who's just become a lifelong friend for us. And I haven't gotten to meet this guy, but I've talked to him on the phone, Luis Guzman, the actor. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. yeah, so I, we keep saying we're going to meet up somewhere, but you know, we've talked on the phone. But he just seemed really cool on the phone. Yeah. I collect weird memorabilia. Like, I don't want a jersey of A-Rod, but I want, like, um, 
if an astronaut does something, I want like something from his. Any memorabilia from the Escobar times that you guys kept? I kept a piece of a brick from the prison, and that's about it. <laughs> oh, that's a cool one. Yeah. Nothing yeah. from you? I kept, yeah, I mean, I, I kept all of, I have a lot of the original wanted posters. Really? Got, oh, yeah, yeah. The original ones got some. Oh, that's of a the, cool one. Some of the letters he was writing. I had a book written by him, got stolen. That's worth a lot of money. Yes, yeah, son of a uh, bitch. That, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, oh, so that's cool memorabilia. The, yeah, okay. Yeah, the, the yeah. letters. And you he's, know what? I still I, got his little black book, too. Yeah, yeah of course <laughs> he does. That's <laughs> why Javi just said, come down <laughs> to Columbia. I said, there's, please, no. There's a note, and I got to say it, it's funnier than wow. Anyway, so we were out on search warrants one night, and there's a car. And uh, we said, hey, that's Escobar's sister's car, so we're taking it. So we get in it, and there's a note in the dashboard. Oh, it's a great note. It says, this car, this is Pablo Escobar. This car belongs to my sister. If you're thinking of stealing it, avoid it. <laughs> Come on, a, really? Yeah, that, no better insurance than <laughs> that one. <laughs> How about this? Craziest thing you guys saw in his jail? Wow, I think the to me was just all the sexy negligees for the he was big in orgies. Okay. Now that in itself doesn't make him a bad guy. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just the the sex parties that that, that were going on there. And, and you but know but Javi, Javi, yeah. he was he was married. So yeah, okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> but and, and then you know what? It was the the giant and what are the old fashioned TVs? So sixty. Remember the sixty yeah. Sony. Big, like bricks, how did they get them up in the mountains, the, in the Chiles? I mean, that to me was like, how did you do that? Which one of you guys slept in his bed? I did, yeah. <laughs> you have to yeah. ask. Yeah. Yeah. Murph, yeah. I apologize. Yeah. No. I insulted you. I apologize. So and, you I had... gotta, and I got to clear it up. It was a challenge from the colonel who was running. He says, I'm here. We bet you that you won't sleep on it. I said, all right. You know what? I changed the sheets, you know, of course. You know. But you know what? I I. I, I could not sleep. And, you know, the thing that always stuck in my mind is the picture that he had over his bed of the Virgin Mary, you know. Well, he was religious, of course. Yes, yeah, but you're killing 20,000 people and you're still, you're praying to the, you know, to the Virgin Mary. Anyway. If Pablo didn't run for office and didn't crave the spotlight a la John Gotti, would he have still been maybe not in power now, but would he, would he have his career been a little bit more different? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what really brought him to the limelight, brought him to the forefront of everything. And now... You know, because he was being so public, the government had to address it. Whereas before, when he was just a narcotics trafficker and not known by everybody, mm -hmm. you know, it didn't bring as much attention to him. But they, he put the government in a position where they had to do something. Javi, same thing. You agree? Yeah, of course, yes. Mm -hmm. All right, a couple more questions. War on drugs, is it a failure? <laughs> it's a misnomer. You know, I mean, think about it. So we're going after the largest cocaine dealer in the world, Pablo Escobar. Mm -hmm. When you fight a war, man, you get your allies together, you get your personnel, you get your materials, you go down to win, right? What do we do in this war on drugs? They sent two of us, two guys. <laughs> you know, it's just a joke. But, it, but having said that, I mean, we all know the truth. Did it have any effect on the cocaine business when we took out Pablo Escobar? It did, the positive effect, but it probably And the murder rate, the murder rate did drop. Yeah, it did, did, but drop. the cocaine rate stopped for, what, two weeks? And then Cali stepped up. So, and we know, I mean... We came into bar tonight. There's a guy smoking weed right there at the front door. Uh, I wish the NYPD cops would have done something about it. Um, <laughs> they came up here to the bar to watch to meet you guys. As DEA agents, um, the opioid epidemic right now is it's to the 80s now with heroin was. Anything that can be done about it? What can be done? I'm asking you guys as, I guess, experts. Anything can be done about it? Well, and I'm glad, you know, I'm surprised you asked that question because we're actually negotiating a couple of potential television series where we want to bring that to light. And um, our 
our uh, agent here is United Talent Agency here in New York City, and uh, we're working with DEA. We've got a production agreement lined up with them, and, and the purpose of it is to, to bring the light. What can we do about the opioid, heroin, and fentanyl issues that we're all facing? Because that's our current scourge, drug scourge here in the United States. Fentanyl has just gotten crazy. It's just gotten out of control. So this is going to sound a little bit strange, especially in a room full of cops. We cannot, we, we've discussed this a lot, we feel that we cannot as a world arrest our way out of the drug problem. We can't put enough people in jail. Our, our jails are overcrowded now. Mm -hmm. We can't put enough people in jail to stop the problem because we all know you put a drug dealer in jail, there's, there's 30 people waiting to take his place, right? Yeah. Everybody wants to move up. So there's so much money to be made. So we still need that enforcement arm. We still need the brave men and women in law enforcement who are willing to put themselves between harm's way, those jerks out there and me because I'm a retiree that are willing to risk their lives. So God bless our law enforcement, you know, best people in the world. So we still need that enforcement element, but we also need something like better education. You know what? I have five granddaughters now. If I think we should educate our children at the very earliest age. And if I have to scare my grandchildren to get them not to use drugs, mm -hmm. I'm okay with that. You know, because I, I just don't want to, it's that dangerous. We all know that, you know, I'm preaching to the choir here, but also you can't look, it's not fair to come into a community, say we're sitting here in Manhattan. It's not fair to come into Manhattan and say, hey, NYPD, it's your responsibility to stop drugs. Or go to your politicians and say it's your responsibility or, or whatever group. We need to come together as a community, you know, and, and, and it's just, this is true. And DEA has started this program called the 360 Strategy that we're really happy about where they go in and they bring law enforcement, they bring the legislatures, they bring the doctors, they bring the housewives. They bring the hard-working blue-collar, the white-collar. They bring everybody together to attack this problem as a community. Now, they, they set target cities around the United States, and they've seen some success. Now, okay. this is preliminary results, so we don't know what the long-term effect's going to be. But, man, if you could come up with an answer to that question, you'd be, you'd be as rich as Pablo Escobar, wouldn't you? $30 billion? I don't know. I wish I, I would do a little more study. Let me ask you one thing, because in, in Switzerland, I don't know if you're familiar with this. In Switzerland, what they do is they don't jail drug users. They made... Uh, parts of Switzerland um, legal. So if you're a heroin addict in Switzerland, what they did was in Zurich, they basically have like a heroin house mm -hmm. controlled by the government. And you're on heroin, you come in, what's your dosage, and everything's kind of monitored. But you're honest, like, hi, I'm Steve Murphy, I'm a heroin addict. And they did it. And you know, they saw like a 73% decrease if people come there, use it. It's, it's anything like that would even comprehensible, smart, because like there's it, it decreased in Zurich, which is completely different than New York and America. But, like, what option is there out there? It seems like it's just going to be a loss everywhere. Well, I've got a question. Who takes care of those people? Who feeds them? Who gives them medical care? Who, who buys their clothes, gives them a place to sleep? The people that have jobs and pay taxes, yeah. right? You know what? I worked my ass off my whole career. That's My dad taught me a strong work ethic when I was 14 years old when I started. I'm ready to kick back a little bit. Why should I be responsible? Mm -hmm. Why should you, all you guys in here, be responsible for taking care of people who go make bad decisions? You know, I teach my children, for every decision you make, there's a consequence. It could be good, it could be bad, but there's a consequence for every decision. You make a bad decision, it's going to be a bad consequence. I have no sympathy for those people whatsoever. Have you guys, we'll, we'll switch now, we'll finish up. Have you guys have ever met anyone from Escobar's family, besides on the roof that day? Yeah, I did. I... I I took his family out of an airplane. <laughs> the, uh, in Germany? Yeah. Was that the? No, no. Oh. no the, in in uh, Medellin. They were getting on an airplane. Uh, I always remember coming to Miami. How they got U.S. visas, I'll never know. But anyway, so I called the ambassador. Told, he ordered me to tear up their visas. We did not let them travel. So, yep, I know the family. And uh, uh, so, yes. I, wa I want one more thing if we have time yep. for a couple minutes story. 
See, you know, Narcos next season talks about this guy Kiki, the most famous DE agent of all time. And I know I, I just found this out about you. I did a Google search, and everything mm -hmm. on the internet is true, obviously. And I just saw the Google search that you were involved in the search of Kiki. Can you just give us a quick thing yes. who Kiki was? Because he influences every right, DEA right. agent's life. DEA, that's our hero. He's our Kiki Camarena. 1984, he was kidnapped by the Mexican cartel, Rafael Caro Quintero. I had a year on the job. So I got sent to help in the search of, uh, of uh, our agent because we could not find his body. But Kike Camarena is, is an idol to us. Everybody looks up to him. We, we call him, like I said, he's, he's our hero. What the cartel did, because he had a lot of information, was taking uh, down a lot of their planta marijuana plantations. They kidnapped him. They were trying to find out what he knew, who they were targeting, and Kike was not talking. So they started torturing him. So before he would die, they would pump him with adrenaline, keep him alive, torture him, just hit him. They, it, it was just so malicious, that violence they did on him. Finally, he ends up dying, and uh, we're, we're searching for the body. We could not find it. Mexican authorities are not helping us. All of a sudden, I think it was President Reagan says, you know what, I'm closing the border. Closed the Mexican-U.S. border for wow. about 30 minutes. That got their attention. Then all of a sudden says, yeah, we found the body. Uh, but we always mark, that's why we, uh, we have a Red Ribbon Week in memory of Kike Camarena. We remember him. Uh, that's our biggest tribute in DEA agent Camarena. And you were involved in that search? Yes, I was involved in the search. We were looking for, we had already found the body. We were looking for his killer, which was Rafael Carlos Quintero. And I'm going to say, Carlos Quintero went to jail for about 20 years. He has escaped, and he is free uh, in Mexico. Now, that's, that's a travesty. Last thing, I don't know if you guys noticed this. In the last couple of days, you know there's coming out with a, a Narcos video game? No. Yeah. It's, called a, it's called The yeah. Rise of the Cartel on PlayStation 4. And... You can either be Escobar and the narcotics guys or the DEA agents. <laughs> Is that incredible? Hey, where's our royalties? I got yeah. to well, complain I, to I actually looked at the trailer today. I don't know if you guys are in it, but Escobar's in it. Um, like um, Poison's in it. All the dudes in the oh, show. I think we're in, in it. Oh, uh, you're in it? On Facebook. So we're not, we're not social media guys, but we have social media. Okay. Luckily, we have a friend that takes care of all that for us, and he has that listed on our Facebook. Oh, really? Wow, I did not know that. Thank you for telling me. Well, well, now I would get it. <laughs> yeah. 3%. We'll talk about that afterwards. <laughs> now he wants some money for I, you. I do. Yeah. All right. So what's next for you guys? We're going to finish up now. I saw on your website, danarcos.com, you guys tour in Miami, Las Vegas, Puerto Rico. In Australia, you guys are beyond huge. So how can everybody get a hold of you, get the book? Let's give the plug one more time. You know, just go to our website, www.deanarcos.com. We've got everything on there from the book. We used to have other merchandise on there, but a uh, certain company threatened to sue us because we might have used the word narcos, so we stopped doing that. <laughs> but um, it, there's a calendar on there. There's an interactive calendar to show you where and when we'll be around the world. Uh, there's fan photos on there. There's uh, a ton of videos. We're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, LinkedIn, we've got a Vimeo channel, we've got a YouTube channel. I don't know what a lot of that stuff is, but <laughs> we've got them. So, but go to our, go to our homepage, deanarcos.com. Right, and when we do our presentation, we tell the real story of Pablo Escobar, basically the rise and fall of Pablo Escobar with original photos, videos, and from people who are there on site, me and Steve. You guys ever pinch yourself and say, holy shit, two DEA agents... And now look what we're doing now, touring the world, we're being interviewed, we're writing books, we're on TV, we're in video games. Ever pinch yourself? Yeah, this is the last thing I thought I'd ever be doing. Yeah. Quite honestly, what 
you guys are going to understand this. I thought I'd be one of those court security officers at the federal <laughs> building telling you, put your stuff in the tray, young man. Well, the book is Manhunters, How We Took Down Pablo Escobar, Agent Stephen Murphy, and Agent Javier Pena. Pleasure. Thank you. This was awesome. I wanted to do this, Javier. You called my yep, show before, yep. Murph. You ignored my email, but that's okay. <laughs> and um, this was a blast. You guys are great. And I, I do want to tell the truth. I read the book months ago. Absolutely love the book. It's not just Narcos. It's the before Narcos. It gives you a lot of Escobar stuff and tells you exactly what we did afterwards. Amazing book. Amazing people. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you so much. God bless you guys. Thank you, Thank you my friend. Thank you all.